All right, good morning, Southwest. Welcome to Encounter. I have the uh, privilege today, as you're finding your seats, to introduce uh, both our speaker um, and kind of an opening form of worship. Uh, so first, I'll introduce our speaker. Our speaker today is a man named Terrence Talley, who I just met about five minutes ago. And he's a traveling communicator who grew up here in the Twin Cities. He's a graduate of North Central University, and he travels across the country spreading, spreading the message of hope and resilience, speaking to students and adults for the past five years. He's been featured on The Morning Blend, authored a number one book on Amazon in its category, and he's won a dance contest in the Dominican Republic. He's a comic book slash movie nerd, husband to wife Courtney, Courtney and father to Gracie and Cece, and author of the book Secrets Anonymous. Um, so in just a moment, Terrence will come up, but before that, one of the things that we've been doing this year as a worship team, which I help lead here, since we can't be on stage, is we've been talking about other ways that we can welcome you all to worship. So although we can't sing together, we can still do things that will prepare our hearts for what we are about to um, hear from Terrence. So in just a moment, um, Lehana is going to be sharing a word with us. So before she does that, let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a special time and place that we can set aside to focus solely on you. I pray that you will be with um, our speaker today, and I pray that the messages that are heard um, will be true and that we can apply them to the things that we do every day. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Everyone loves something. We say, I love you. Almost every day we say, I love you to the girl scrutinizing her face in the bathroom mirror. And we say, I love you on someone's post, but you haven't seen them in years. And it's simply an obligation at this point. And when we don't say it with words, we say it anyways, even without trying. We say, I love you when you actually remember to ask your younger brother how his day at school was. And you say, I love you when you take your dog to the park, even though she gets annoyingly muddy. And you say, I love you when you do the dishes without being asked because mom had a long day at work. And we hear it in music over and over. It's this endless refrain of, I love you, so please don't leave me again. And the melodies confess something for us, something we refuse to speak aloud ourselves because so much more is said in the unsaid, and we know it. We say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. So often it loses meaning, it loses itself, it loses any significance beyond an utterance of your lips. But when God says, I love you, he says, I love you with the authority of someone so powerful and so omnipotent and omnipresent and so perfect. And he says, I love you with the gentleness of a creator who watched you break down last night because depression and anxiety and stress and family and parents and homework and responsibility and obligation are overwhelming, overpowering over our heads. And I want you to know that that same deity that created our world, our galaxy, our universe, our ever-growing universe that is a physical example of his boundless love know that he is the God that says I love you and even more he's the God that will not demand you say it back he's the God that will wait and wait and wait for you the God that will play the long game the God that will draw you in and you don't even notice and then you're in his arms and you remember that his hands created the mountains you are so afraid of I love you and when you can't hear it he says it again I love you 
He said, I love you when he promised Abraham's sons that would multiply like the stars. And he said, I love you when he saved Rahab and her family with a scarlet cord. He says, I love you to you every single day. He said, I love you when he delivered his only son in a filthy manger for you, a feeding trough crafted with the same kind of wood he would die on 33 years later. And he said, I love you when the curtains tore open and the blood of Christ himself spilled down and God collected it in his heavenly cup and poured it over the earth to say, I love you one more time he said i love you by saying you belong with me you must learn to hear him say i love you i promise without a doubt he's there he's whispering quietly in the swish of the lobby doors in the bounce of the basketball in the shuffling of your sneakers on the pavement he's whispering he's waiting for you to hear I love you. Nice. Good job. Good job. What up, everybody? How are we doing? Okay, there we go. My man right there is excited. He's got the clap going on. You're due, right? I can't, I can't see. I was like, I guess you look pretty. I don't know. Okay. Now, oh, thank you. Yes, we need lights on in here because I want to be able to see. All right. Hey, once again, my name is Terrence Talley, and I am so, so glad to be with you guys today. Now, just so you guys know, uh, before we get into everything and whatnot, this is, this is how I do everything. Before we get into everything and whatnot, uh, just like he was saying, I had the awesome privilege to be able to, to write uh, some books. The first book I wrote is called Secrets Anonymous, and it's out there basically after I get done with an assembly because uh, when there is not a crazy pandemic going around, I had the awesome opportunity to be able to travel to schools and churches and do assemblies. And afterwards, people would like write these notes and these, their secrets and the things that they've been through. And so what we've done is we took all those secrets from across the country and we put them in a book. And now the whole idea is that somebody can pick up the book and you could read someone else's secret. And yeah, all the details may not be the same, but you can understand when someone hurts like you hurt. And if you know someone hurts like you hurt, then you know you're not alone. And if you know you're not alone, then you know there is hope for you. I hate, one of the, the worst things about writing that book is I had over hundreds of secrets to choose from. Hundreds. I I said last time when I was here, I'm sorry for the things that have been said to you. I'm sorry for the things that have been done to a lot of you in here. You guys are holding on to secrets you should never have to hold on to by yourself. But I want you to know you're still loved and you're still cared about. That's why we put that book together. And um, uh, this 
part when everything went down with the pandemic, I always, I was always one of those kids. You know how everybody's like, oh, you should journal. Journaling is good for you. I did not journal. Okay, I don't, I don't know how to journal. I didn't, I did not, was not one of those people that was like, I got to write my thoughts down. I didn't know how to do that, but I know that there are a lot of you that have stories to tell. And so what we did is we put together this book, and it's called Secrets Revealed, Your Story, and it helps in you journaling what's going on uh, with you. And so obviously, if I put these books together, then you know there are pictures in it as well. And so if you're just like, I don't like reading, then you should get a picture book. So that being said right there, Hopefully, you got, oh, you know what, you know what the weird thing is? Okay, uh, last time I thought I only had 10 minutes, and so I was like going really fast, but this time I know I don't have 10 minutes, but crazy thing is this, as I was praying here today, uh, you guys are different from the last crowd, and I, not just different in the sense that you have different faces, but difference in the... In, in my heart, I feel like there are a lot of walls in here. And a lot of you that are wearing a mask right now, and you are trying to cover up that pain and that hurt. I know I'm not here for everyone, but I know I'm here for someone. And even as I'm praying right now, there's somebody in here... Um, Oh, Jesus. Um, I feel like there's someone in here that uh, just this week something happened to you and, and you have been trying to ignore it. You have been trying to, to cover it up because you don't want nobody to know and you think you have to handle it by yourself. And I just want to encourage you right now, you do not have to handle this by yourself. Matter of fact, you shouldn't handle this by yourself. Holy smokes, this is a crazy opening right here. Everybody's like, wow, this is getting way too deep, way too fast. Sorry, okay? We, we're coming in here. You know what? I'm going to rewind the back. We're going to we're gonna rewind the back. So here's the thing. As I have been able to travel and do all these things, I have learned something about myself. And the thing that I've learned about myself is this. I am jacked up, Okay. I have some problems, I have some issues, but you know what the crazy thing is? You're jacked up too. So matter of fact, why don't you turn to the person next to you and let them know, you're jacked up. It's okay, you're jacked up. It's all right. And when I think about that, I think about Jeremiah 1.5, and it says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So God is saying, Jeremiah, I know what has happened. And God is saying to you right now, I know all the things that you have done. I know all the things that you're going to get into. I know the drama that's going to happen. I know the sin that is going to be upon you and that's going to entangle you. And all these things, I still know you. And I still call you. And you're still mine. I love you. No matter what, no matter how jacked up you think you are, God still chooses you. He still chooses you. So, if you are jacked up, it is okay. Matter of fact, 
turn to the person and let them know, I'm jacked up too. Jacked up too. That's right. Girl, you jacked up too? It's okay. And for some of you, you're just like, oh, Terrence, I, I didn't even know I was jacked up until you told me. But for me, I know the exact moment I became jacked up. And just so you guys know, uh, when I was two or three years old, uh, my dad, my parents got a divorce. And so I remember the day where my dad came into our house, he took everything out of there, and then my mom, she had to come home from work in order to take care of us. And I have two older brothers, and I remember my mom, she's like trying to do everything at this point. She's trying to be mom, she's trying to be dad, she's trying to do all these things, and when everything seemed like it was going wrong, my grandma showed up. Now, you guys have to understand, my grandma, she smelled like a combination of chicken and oatmeal. I don't even know how those things go together, but they're delicious. And my grandma, she had this thing about her when she would turn to you and she'd go, baby. And every single time she went, baby, you knew everything was going to be okay. And so my grandma, she's sitting here, she's cooking, she's cleaning. And then one day, my grandma, she came into the room with my brothers and I, ooh, proper English, and she looked at us and she goes, babies, I'm going to have to go back home. And we're like, oh, no, grandma, that's sad. Oh, no. My grandma, she lived in Detroit, and we lived here in Minnesota. But she turns to me and she goes, but baby, you're coming with me. And I was like, oh, I'll go to grandma's house. And so I remember I went into my room, and I got all my, like, Legos and Twinkies, and I put them in a bag, and I ran, because when you're three, four years old, you got to have two Legos and Twinkies. And I ran back to my brother's room, and I was just like, I'm going to grandma's house. I'm going to grandma's house. And I'll never forget the day that we're going to leave. My, my grandma and I, my mom, she dropped us off at the bus station, because back in the day, we couldn't afford no plane ticket. We had to ride the Greyhound bus. And so I remember we're getting on the bus, and my mom, she's sitting there. She's crying. But I'm like, it's okay, Mom. I'm going to Grandma's house. And so we went. As soon as we got home, my grandma, we went into her house. She turns to me, and she goes, baby, what do you want to eat? I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I love Grandma. But you have to know, my grandma went to church every single day. Now, some of you, you're like, oh, she went to church on Wednesdays and Sundays. No. My grandma went to church every single day. Monday night was prayer night. Tuesday night was women's Bible study. Wednesday night was Wednesday night. Thursday night was church-wide prayer. Friday night was evangelism night. Saturday night was getting ready for Sunday morning. Sunday morning was Sunday morning. And Sunday night was the special speaker. My grandma went to church Every single day. And I'm like, shoot, can't the Lord get a pen, a pen and a piece of paper and write these prayers down? Why do we always got to do the same prayers all the time? And my grandma, you have to understand, she was like one of those grandmas that would like come all dressed up at church. She would come with her hat matching with her whole suit. And this, this is actually a true story. My grandma, she turns to me one time and she goes, Baby, I even let the Holy Spirit dress me. I was like, wow, I didn't know the Holy Spirit like leopard print. That's crazy. And so my grandma, when she would go to church, she would have her tambourine in hand, and she would have her name etched in there. Okay, that part's not true, but I think it's funny. And she would come to church, and she'd be the person just sitting there all excited. She'd be like, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And month after month after month, we're going to church all the time, and I am sick of this. 
I'm like, I don't want to do this no more. And so one Sunday, I decided I'm going to rebel. And so in my rebellion, I decided to get naked at church. Now, I don't know why I thought rebellion meant getting naked. That might be biblical. But I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is it. And so I start taking off my socks. I'm opening up my shirt. And of course, my grandma, she turns towards me and she goes, baby, you need to keep your clothes on. Things you never thought you'd hear in church. And I go, no, grandma, I'm sick of this. And the next thing I know, this big, tall, black dude comes over to my grandma. He goes, you want me to take care of this? And she goes, you do what you got to do. I'm like, grandma, you just sold me out to a man I don't even know. And he goes to me and he goes, hey, I want you to go outside and stand in front of the church. And I'm like, I don't even know you like that. Okay, whatever. And so I go outside. He comes over. He's like, you see that tree over there? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, I want you to go over there, break a branch off of that tree, and bring it back to me. And I'm like, oh, hold up. What is this, a Detroit thing? I don't know what this is. And so I start walking, and the thought occurs to me, this dude is old. I am young. He can't catch me. And so I start taking off. I'm like, I'll see you later, old man. And the next thing I know, this dude must have had superhuman powers because all I heard was, come back here. And he got me with one hand, picked me up, broke a tree branch off with the other hand, and he starts spanking me with this tree branch. I have never been assaulted by a tree in my life. And so, of course, we go back into the church. He puts me in the pew, and my grandma, she's just like, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And at this point in time, I was like, that is it. I don't want to do this no more. I am done. And so as soon as church is over with, we're walking down the aisleway, and I just stop, fold my arms. My grandma, she turns back to me, and she goes, come on, baby, we got to go home. And I said, no, grandma, I don't want to be here no more. I want to go back to my home. I don't want to be here. And then that's when my grandma turns towards me, and she goes, baby. You can't go back home. Your mom gave you to me. You can't go back home. See, my mom, she was having such a hard time raising three boys by herself that she couldn't raise all three of them. So she had to send one of those boys away, and that boy was me. And I remember I'm in that aisleway, and I'm like four years old, and I'm like, why would my mom send me away? Why am I not good enough? Now, later on, my mom, she eventually came back to get me. But I didn't realize how bad that jacked me up until I was older, until I was a couple years ago. Now, you guys have to understand, uh, my wife, she is like one of the smartest people I know. Okay, and she was going to school to get her master's in counseling, and she's like one of those people that would read like all the books even before class. I'm like, girl, you don't need to do that. You need to Google some of that. And my wife, she came to me one day, and she was like, Terrence, there's this book, and I read it, and you got to read it because this is going to point out some of the issues you have. I was like, okay, girl, first of all, ain't no book going to tell me about this. And she goes, no, Terrence, you have to read the book. And in this book, this dude has a test. And he goes, all right, I want you to close your eyes and imagine you're standing in front of your childhood home. Doesn't matter what age you are, just you're at that childhood home. I want you to walk through the doors, and I want you to go to the kitchen where your mom would be. Now, I want you to think, what do you want to ask her? But then 
you decide you're not going to. What do you ask her for instead? And I would ask my mom for something to eat because it was really easy for her to just make something to eat. Then he goes, I want you to go to the room where your father would be. What does he say to you when you walk in? And for me, I'm going into this empty room because my, my dad, he left. And he goes, I want you to go outside your house, and now you're standing in front of it, and you look down the sidewalk, and you see a figure coming towards you, and you can't quite make it out until it gets a little bit closer, and then that's when you realize that's you. That's you at the age you are right now. What is it you want to say to your younger self? And I remember I'm standing there, and I'm looking down at four-year-old Terrence, and I had just been down to him, and I go, it's okay. It's okay to ask for help. See, I don't like having, asking for people's help. And I'm not just saying this because I've dealt with this and I'm done. I don't even like asking for people's help right now because if my mom can get rid of me, if I become too much of a burden, then how easy is it for someone else to get rid of me and they hardly even know me? And that is what shame is. Shame says, I am not good enough for dot, dot, dot. And the problem is, there is so much shame in this room. There are so many of you that have this, this thing built into not only your head, but your heart. And it says, I'm not good enough for that. I'm not good enough for somebody to speak up for me. I'm not good enough for somebody to love me after I've made a mistake. But this is why it's so important. In Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. You may think you are not good enough, but God says, not only are, are you good enough, but you're mine. But the problem is, we don't really realize that. And so for our worth and our value, we go to two places in our life. We go towards the people in our lives, and we go towards the purpose in our lives. For example, for some of you in this room, you go towards the people in your lives to get worth and you get value. So what does that mean? Uh, for me, as uh, uh, first of all, uh, for girls in this room, and I'm not trying to like mansplain you, this came from my wife. And for a lot of you in this room, you like to make sure that everything about you is good and you are pretty. And so you will cut out pieces of yourself that people may not agree with you, that people may say, say you're not good enough for because you want to be someday the perfect mother, the perfect wife, the perfect friend. You want to do all these things perfectly. And so if it doesn't fit in this perfect box, you're going to cut it out. But the problem with that is this, that the more you start to cut out, the less of you there is because there is no one in this room that is perfect. And pretty soon you are only a shell of who you are. Or for some of you dudes in this room right now, a lot of times we hear about uh, guys don't cry. But the reason why we don't cry is because it's shame. Because you're saying, I can't show you my emotions because if I show you my emotions, you're going to think less of me of a man. And I can't let you think less of me because I'm not good enough of you to already know who I am. But the crazy thing is, God made each and every one of you to have emotion. You can't hide what God has put in you. 
Or for some of you in this room, you go towards the purpose in your life. Now, you guys have to understand, uh, shame, it hides in secrecy, but it demands your loyalty. You can't talk about it because if people know what you are ashamed of, then they're going to judge you. So it tells you to be quiet about you. But your worth and your value, it does not come from people. Your worth and your value is not a group project. God has put it in you. But for some of you, it's your purpose. And what that looks like is like, okay, if I do this really well, then people are going to say, I'm good enough. People are going to say that I'm smart enough. I'm supposed to be here. For, for some of you in this room, it's like, I got to get that A. So my parents are going to know that I'm good enough to be their son, their daughter. I need to be able to get on that team so everybody knows I'm worth something, right? I can be somebody. Or others of you, I got to get make this certain amount of money. Because if I make this much money, then I'm going to prove to everybody I'm good enough. And it's almost like you are climbing that ladder of success. But the crazy thing is, when you think about a physical ladder, if that ladder does not end, what's going to happen? You're going to get tired and you're going to stop. So what does that mean for a lot of us in this room? We do not step out of our bubble. And it's like, why would I try new things if eventually I'm not going to be good enough for it? Because we're all going to learn that the thing that you think you're really good at, somebody is always better. And when you put your value and your worth in something that somebody can judge you as good or bad, there's going to be a day where you're like, since they're better than me at this, they're better than me. But that is not true. Because remember, Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. All right, case in point, um, Going to assemblies, I'll never forget, there's this one assembly. Uh, there's like hundreds of students sitting there. We're in the gym. But in the middle of the crowd was this girl. And every so often, she would take out this tissue, put it to her face, and put the tissue back in her pocket. Didn't matter if it was a funny part. Didn't matter if it was an emotional part. Every so often, she would take out this tissue, put it to her face, and put the tissue back in her pocket. So, of course, as soon as the assembly is done, principal comes over. He's like, hey, thanks for coming to our school today. And my friend, he's like, can I ask you a question about one of your students? And he goes, oh, you want to know about Teresa? I'm like, dude, how do you know who we're talking about? There's hundreds of students sitting here right now. And he goes, talking about the girl with the tissues, right? Yeah, that's Teresa. Well, do you know why she has the tissues? And he goes, actually, none of us on staff know why. But if you want, we can call her down to the office, and if she wants to tell you, she's free to do that. And we're like, yeah, that'd be really great. Now, I got to tell you guys, it's the coolest thing in the world where you could just go to a school and just be like, uh, I want that one. And they're like, give him the student. He's black. Give it to him. So we go down to the office. Next thing you know, Teresa comes walking in, and she's like, hey, thanks for coming to our school today. And my friend, he goes, can I ask you a question? And she goes, oh, you want to know about the tissues? Yeah. You're going to think I'm really weird. I'm not going to think you're weird. We just want to know what's going on. She goes, well, you have to understand, my mom, she loves me, but it's just my mom, my little brother, and I. My dad left a long time ago. And on my 13th birthday, my mom pulled me to the side and said, today's the day you have to grow up. I can't afford to treat you like a baby anymore. So what that means is I'm not going to hug you. I'm not going to kiss you and tell you that I love you because that's what babies need. And you're not a baby anymore. 
It's time for you to grow up, start acting like it. So from that day forward, Teresa actually had to go out and get a job in order to support herself. But she goes, every single day, I watch as my mom gets ready for work. I watch as she sits in front of her mirror. She'll put on her makeup. And the last thing she puts on is lipstick. She'll take out the lipstick, put it on. Then she'll take out some tissue, wipe off the extra lipstick. She throws the tissue in the garbage, and she goes to work. She goes, she does this every single day. And one day... Just like every other day, I watched her. I watched as she sat in front of that mirror. I saw her as she put on that makeup. And then I saw her take out that lipstick, put it on. Then she took that tissue, wiped off the extra lipstick. She threw that tissue in the garbage, and she left for work. And she goes, as soon as she left, I snuck back into her room, and I went to that garbage can, and I pulled out that tissue. And now, every single time I want to think, Somebody loves me, I'll take out the tissue, and I put it to my face, and I pretend it's my mom kissing me again, telling me that she loves me. The only kind of love Teresa gets is from a garbage can. And that is my fear for someone in this room right now. You think that's what you deserve. Garbage love. What is garbage love? Garbage love says you have to do something for me in order for me to love you. And my feelings could change about you if you don't do those things on a consistent basis. But that is not how God loves you. He chose you from the get-go. And he said, you're mine. And I think one of the stories that illustrate this really well is the story about the woman at the well. Now, uh, if you guys have your Bibles, it takes place in John 4. And basically, long story short, Jesus, he's like hanging with his dudes and whatnot. He's like, hey, man, I'm thirsty. I'm going to get something to drink. And they're like, all right, Jesus, you go get something to drink, and we're going to go out. Peace. He's like, all right, peace. This is my version of the ghetto Bible. And so uh, Jesus, he goes to this well. And when he goes to this well, all of a sudden, this Samaritan woman comes walking up. Now, to get into all the Samaritan and all that, just so you guys know, short story, Samaritans, there are these people that when they got taken over, they're Jewish people, and when they got taken over, they spread these people out all across the, the country and whatnot, and they mingled in with other uh, groups and other religions. And so when they came back together, these people mixed their religion with this other religion, with this other God, and all the other Jewish people, they're like, ew, y'all are nasty. I don't want nothing to do with you. So everybody looked down on these Samaritans. But not only did they look down on Samaritans, they also looked down on women. So this woman's coming to the well, and for everybody, for women during that time, you were not allowed to talk in public. Because we all know that women, once you talk, we cannot believe a word you say. Okay, that's not true. My wife, she would choke me out. But that's what they thought back in the day. And so women, there's only a certain time during the day where all the women can come together and they can talk and have relationship and, and build that community. And so Jesus, he's there. And this woman comes down and she starts to get a drink of water. And Jesus goes, can you give me a, a, a glass of water? Not a glass. They didn't have glasses. But she looks at him, and she's like, 
who are you talking to? And Jesus is like, if you knew who was asking for a drink of water, you would ask me for a drink of water instead. And so it begins this whole conversation where she's trying to figure out, who are you? Where do you come from? And so Jesus, uh, he just looks at her. I want to make sure I get this right for you guys. There's a part in there where Jesus, he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman, she says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus says, go, call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Oh my goodness! That's crazy! Jesus totally reads this woman's mail. I mean, could you guys imagine? You're sitting at the market, you're sitting there, you're getting your bread, all of a sudden some dude comes up to you and he's like, I know your business. And you'd be like, ooh, that's the devil, get out of my way. Like, some of you guys would be so freaked out, you would not go to the store again. But that is what Jesus does to this woman. He knows exactly who she is. He knows that for her, we always think like, okay, she had five husbands. That means that she was with, uh, like, cheated on five different people, but reality is we don't really know. Maybe one day one of her guys, he's just like, you know what, I'm a dude, I'm going to die today. She's like, word, okay. Like we don't know why she has had five different husbands, but what we do know is this, that the man she is now with, she is sleeping with him, but that is not her husband. Why would she sell her value? Why would she lower herself to be treated in this way? It's simple, because when you don't think you have value or worth, you will lower it down just so you can get a little bit of it. Please care about me. Love me. I'll do whatever I need to do for you to care about me. And Jesus knows this. And this woman, she's coming to the well, and the reason why she's coming to the well by herself, probably because all the women in that town knew what she did. All the women in that town knew she was sleeping around. How old are you guys in here? How old are you, dude? You look big. 17. Anybody younger than 13? Boom. See? PG-13. We know that this woman was sleeping around. Jesus knows this. But yet he still calls her and tells her, hey, I'm going to talk to you today. And there's even a part in here where, where she says, please, sir, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming here and have everybody look at me. Everybody know the things that I've done, the sin that I have. Please tell me so, and so I don't have to keep coming back here to experience this shame that is constantly on me. See, she's not asking for physical water. Or she thinks she's asking for that physical water. But see, Jesus, he knows there's something bigger there. Because for this woman... She just wants to leave. She wants to get out of everybody's eyesight. But that's not what Jesus wants for her. And in that moment, what happens? If you read it just a couple of lines later, she's like, oh, my gosh, this dude, I, I think I found. And then she runs to the town. She's like, hey, everybody, I think I just found the Messiah. And the whole town comes back to meet Jesus. What does this mean? Think about this. This woman who had been sleeping around, all of a sudden when she meets Jesus, boom, she is instantly changed. She is now become an evangelist on the spot. 
What does that mean for you and me? That means that no matter what you are dealing with, no matter what is going on, no matter what kind of sin you think is going to weigh you down and is not good enough for you, Jesus says the moment that you come to me, it's changed. It's different. I have a future for you. I have called you. Just come to me because you are mine. And there is somebody in this room today, you don't think you have that value. You don't think you have that future. But I'm here to tell you right now, you do. I'm here to tell you right now, I've come for you today. God loves you. And don't you ever think any differently. There's somebody in here right now that you cut yourself because you think you're only worth your scars. But that is not true. God loves you. And the awesome thing about my Father in heaven, he hears you and he responds. Um, last story I'll tell you guys is, there's this one assembly I was at, and I remember I'm on the stage, and everybody was sitting on the ground like this, and it was coming down to the end of the assembly. And usually at the end of the assembly, I'll start to talk about the importance of a dad hug. Now, if you don't know what a dad hug is, dad hug says, I love you, and you don't have to do anything for me. Dad hug says, I think you're great, and you don't have to be the superstar athlete. You don't have to get straight A's. I just think you're great because you're you. And so as I'm talking about this, next thing I know, this girl in the front row begins to cry. Now, I am used to people crying in the assembly, but the more I go, this girl's cries get louder and louder and louder to the point where she's not even crying no more, to the point she's just wailing. She's just like, Wah! And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, this is really weird. I'm sitting here. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is really weird. And so I don't know what to do at this point. I'm trying to ignore this girl, but I can't. She is, like, throwing me off. And so I never, I'm telling you guys the truth. I heard God, and he said, Terrence, you need to hug this girl right now. I was like, right now? He goes, right now. I'm like, Lord, are you sure? Now, I don't know if you've ever had an argument with God, but you're going to lose every time. And I go, hey, everybody, I'm sorry. I, I have to do something real quick. And I took the mic, I put it in my pocket. I go, hey, I don't know what's going on right now, but I do know this, that the reason why I'm here is because I love you like a dad should love their daughter. And if you don't mind, I would love to give you a dad hug. Is that okay? And she goes, uh-huh. And so she stands up, and I start to hug her, and she grabs a hold of me, and she's sitting there, and she's just holding tight. We're talking like 30 seconds. Now, some of you are like, oh, Terrence, 30 seconds? That's not a long time. Trust me, when you are holding somebody for 30 seconds, and you have a group of high schoolers staring at you while hugging that person, that's a long time. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, girl, you got to sit down. I got to finish this. And so she sits down. I finish the assembly. Next thing I know, this girl comes running over to me. She grabs me by the shirt. She twists me around. And she goes, you have no idea what you did. You have no idea. And I go, whoa, what's going on? And she goes, earlier in the school year, my friend went to a church event, and she gave her life to Jesus. And she has asked me to come to church every single day since then. But I told her I don't believe in God because what kind of God would allow my dad to abuse my mom? What kind of God would allow my dad to abuse me? And she goes, this morning when I woke up, I saw my dad push my mom to the ground, and he picked up his bag, and he probably left for the last time. She goes, I went into my room, and I broke everything. And she goes, I even yelled at God. And I said, God, if you're real, you will show me that I am loved like a daughter should be loved by their dad. And she goes, and you hugged me, and you told me you love me 
like a dad should love their daughter. She goes, I don't know if you believe in Jesus, but I just gave my life to him right there. This is how my God loves you. He hears your cries. He knows your pain. He knows your hurt. And he knows your sin. And he still says, you're mine. And what do we got to do? We just have to accept his grace. Because shame tells you what's true. You have done that. You do have that sin in your life. But God's grace says, that's true, but you're still mine. I still hear you. And I still want you to come to me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for how you love each and every one of us. Lord, I pray for the person that came in here today where they had that wall up that they're trying to cover up for what has happened this week or maybe it was last week. And they're coming in here and they're saying to themselves, this is all fake. We're just playing around in here. This is not what I'm going to use in my life. Lord, I pray that you will speak to that person right now and you will let them know, no, I am not here just to make everybody feel good. I am here for you because I love you. Lord, I pray that you will reveal your grace to somebody today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you guys so much for letting me be here with you today. Thank you for listening in on our Encounter podcast. You can find previous Encounter recordings and who will be coming in future weeks on our Southwest Christian High School webpage www.swchs.org click on student life and encounter again thank you for joining us and until next time keep your eyes fixed not on speakers teachers or institutions but on christ the author and the perfecter of our faith